Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sound of love. Viking drinking music. This is Dietrich Valhalla. Taking over. Helm's Deep Headquarters. Vaketa Whistle Radio. And your usual host, David Fanhead. Can I do without him? On the show tonight, we will definitely be having Dava Shewolf representing. Her Harvey and Wolf EP will be playing the Proud off of that. She should be here, actually. I think she might be here now. But of course, Johnny Daggett will be talking about Noctambulus, his film. Doc might have questions for her. For him as well. And now we begin. Folks, friends, and fiends, welcome to another KWR with Dietrich Valhalla, the German Viking. We have Dava She-Wolf, she'll bite you, and Mr. Johnny Daggers, he'll stab you. Let's talk, folks. What are we going to talk about? Anyone? (laughs) 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 Your new film. Why well, don't you give a nice intro to your new film? Uh, yes, I, I'm sorry, what was that, Dava? I said, uh, so why don't you give a nice synopsis about your film before we Yes, about it? I'd be happy to. I am about to release my new 1920s silent noir thriller entitled Noctambulist, and that will be released sometime this year through SGL Entertainment. 
and it will be available worldwide. So there's no excuse for anyone not to see it. Now, from what I understand, from what I understand, Dava was brought to tears watching that. It was it that bad? No. <laughs> not those kind of tears. <laughs> Actually, the good kind of tears. I was very moved at, at them, two different parts of the film. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. I started crying with three abandoned. <laughs> I would love to know the parts because I felt nothing. Well, you know, Dava, that is honestly one of the biggest compliments that has ever been bestowed upon me. So thank you. Uh, just hearing that something that you've written and that you filmed has made someone cry is a huge compliment. So I, I am very honored to hear that. Oh, no, you are you are so welcome. It was I was very moved. And believe me, it takes a lot to make me cry. A lot. I kind of um, believe that. Yeah. Yeah, Dietrich probably cries more than you. I, that's the impression that I no, get. No, I just stab people. <laughs> well, maybe he should cry more than most of us, but that's <laughs> not for here or there. Yeah, you um, have some things to get out, Dietrich, apparently. Deep-seated issues. <laughs> How could you not cry watching this movie? The ending, which I don't want to give away, I don't, no, no spoilers, um, I lost it. Oh, my God. Oh, thank you. Uh, and then there was one part in particular, but it, it was just so personal. I I, I, I don't want to start crying again, so I'm just going to pick it up. But I was, yeah, the, the, the pace of the film was amazing. The acting was incredible, incredible. And the, and the direction and... Um, the hot chicks, the hot chicks. And what, what I really liked, and I don't know how much of this you intended, but the whole... Um, the vibe was like a dreamscape because it was re recreated as a silent movie, but there were subtle elements of uh, modernism, you know, that kind of really made you feel like you were caught up in a dream. I thought it was just great. Well, thank you. You captured what I was, or I guess accurately delivered what I was trying to convey, if that's what you, because that is how I wanted to put it together, having watched the entire film, you realize that Zella, the main actress uh, character in the film, uh, she does have a lot of dream. A lot of times we don't really know whether she's dreaming or she's completely lost her mind and delusional. Um, so, you know, the first 15 minutes starts off as your typical 1920s style film. And then it just 15 minutes in just diverges into this dark, morbid, you know, fantasy dreamlike uh, state where it remains for the duration of the film, but uh, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to pay my respects and homage to the early 1920 influences, but I also wanted to give it more contemporary pacing so that it wasn't as slow. So it's that I think was probably one of the hardest things as the writer and director and also the cinematographer to try to figure out that balance. Okay, how am I going to stay true to the 20s, but also quicken the pacing so that it relates more to a modern day audience but you still have that uh, 20s you know overall vibe going so I think you completely accomplished that and, and the thing is you know I, I'm one of, I tend to remember my dreams and when when you have a, an, an amazing dream that leaves an impression it, it, there is like on a, on a macro scale time is irrelevant so you have like 
you just sometimes it's a, it'll be a dream that's lost in time, but there'll be things that feel like they could be from the future or either from the past. And, and I think you really achieved that. Very well. well thank you. The photography was fantastic, also. Just, just wonderful. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, actually, the one the one sequence within the film where, and I won't again divulge any information either, uh, but the clothesline scene, and that's all I'll say. That was actually a dream that I had that I decided to incorporate into the film. So it was kind of neat to uh, get to relive some of my nightmares and put that into the film. Dreams have fucked me wow, up. You really Big did time. Say that. Yeah. Sorry, Dietrich. Dietrich, I think a lot has fucked time. you up. <laughs> My dreams fucked me up. A lot! Can we use that language on the radio? So now I'm curious. Live at the spider den. Why would you do that? I'm afraid of skulls. They're all over my freaking living room. Why would you do that? I'm actually a huge fan of spiders. I had a pet tarantula who just recently passed away, but I had her. Her name was Morticia, and uh, I, I had her for about five or six years before she passed. Did a photo shoot with her back in the day, which is how I acquired her. Um, she was lovely. Who is this knucklehead doing your forward for your book? My book? Your book. You're speaking of my last book, right? Neverlasting? No, you're doing something called memoir wires. Yeah, I'm not sure how you found out about that, but it is true. I am currently working on an autobiography, and it is being written by the gentleman who I thought was going to be interviewing me today, David Pearhead. He's a good friend of mine and a talented author, and he's writing the foreword for it. So what makes you so interesting? Really nothing. Um, I don't think so. I often keep asking my fiance, like, should I even write an autobiography? Because everybody, everybody, number one, has an interesting life, or the majority of people have something interesting about their life. And I thought maybe my experiences really weren't that significant to write about. But for the past 25 years or so, uh, numerous people have been asking me to write an autobiography. And... I started doing so back in the early 90s, and then I just got too busy to continue. So I kind of put it off to the side for a while, and um, I recently decided that before things happen, I'm not divulging too much info, but uh, I'm a hypochondriac, uh, and I often worry, like, what if something happens and I'm, I die. Like, everything is everything is life-threatening that happens to me as, as far as my ailments. I probably, in the course of the week, think I have about 20 different symptoms that I'm dying from. Um, but, yeah, I just figured, well, we don't know how much longer we have on this earth, and instead of talking about writing this autobiography for 25 years, I, now I should just go ahead and write it, and hopefully I'll have another 25 years or so ahead of me, and I can always do a part two. Well, I think it's time to take a break, because... This is heavy. This is some heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy for 1940s radio. Um, okay, we'll get back to you. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right.
folks, to the show that doesn't exist yet. However, we have Dava Shibo and Johnny Daggers. And we're talking about... What are we talking about, Johnny? I believe you were asking about the autobiography that I'm working on. Gosh darn it, I forgot about that. And? Oh, well, I thought you were going to... Uh, Ask me another question oh, about no, it. I've got nothing, nothing, nothing. No. Well, I can, I can tell. Um, yes, yeah, so anyway, about the autobiography, I started back roughly 25 years ago as a music journalist and published Golgotha magazine and interviewed hundreds upon hundreds of, you know, different punk and goth and industrial metal bands, you I name it. I don't even know what that is. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you, Dietrich. It's uh, I guess try to, trying to explain the music scene to somebody from the '40s would be a little difficult. But yeah, I just thought that there was a lot of really great, crazy stories that happened during that time and things that were worth mentioning in the book. So uh, that's that starts the early part of the autobiography, all my years, and then obviously it goes into all the bands that I've been in over the years and covers my film career and my career as a writer and author, so. And you're writing what? <laughs> An autobiography. They, they didn't exist in the 40s? No. I think... Yes, please, Dava. Oh, this yes, is the lovely Dava can save it. us right now. <laughs> no, I can't, but I'd still like to ask another question. Um, speaking of the 40s, which I'm not sure where in the 40s we are, but... Um, I, I don't think Dietrich knows you. <laughs> one part of the film did remind me of a film from the 40s, and that film was The Snake Pit with Olivia de Havilland. Have you seen that movie? Very nice, I have. Very nice. Well, any particular part that reminded you, or just an overall tone, or...? The, the tone absolutely captured, you know, the uncertainty and the confusion, but the, of course, what I, I don't want to give spoilers here. Can I say a scene? Uh, you can. You can say a scene. Okay. Um, when she is um, finally taken away and put away, and uh, under those horrible circumstances, and... and um, reminded me of the snake pit very much yeah that was one of my one of my favorite scenes in the film was when we got to film inside the asylum that was a whole lot of fun and it was probably yeah, about an actual asylum well actually it is a it was a haunted house um in baltimore run by it's called bennett's curse um, and I happen to know Jill and Alan, the owners of Bennett's Curse, and they found out about the film, and they were like, hey, we actually have an insane asylum in the haunted house. If you want to film there, uh, swing by, take a look at it, see if you want to use, you know, if you want to use it, then you, you're more than welcome to. Uh, so, yeah, it looked really good. I shot the scene there, and it, because it was in a warehouse, in the middle of summer, it must have been about 130 degrees inside when we shot that scene, and that's oh not even a joke. It's, it was extremely ridiculously hot, but it was one of my favorite scenes in the film. Oh!
We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I don't want to set the world on fire. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm back. That was Diedrich. He's outside. Diedrich Valhalla, everybody. Got him out of the uh, headquarters here, Helm's Deep. And uh, we're going to continue this interview professionally, somewhat. <laughs> All right. Just got to keep this crazy guy out of here who's taking over my show and my life lately. I'm not afraid of the dark, but you should be. There are things that dwell here in the dark. Things best left unseen. With the initial smoke clear from the fall of tomorrow, the blood now flows even thicker with dwelling in the dark. Eleven stories. All bits of the same mysterious puzzle. Fitting together with horrific parallels to its predecessor. Get ready for new, truly terrifying tales set in the broken world from the fall of tomorrow. Take a closer look at what's now dwelling in the dark. If you dare. Available on Amazon in traditional print and ebook. Get your copy today. Visit www.fairlydarkproductions.com for more info on the author and his work. Lucky Strike. First again with Tobacco Men. First again with Tobacco Men. MFT, LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes, in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. And Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. So for your own real deep down smoking enjoyment, smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. Still here? Okay. Let's play a game. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. Hey, whoa, whoa. I'm sorry. I just took over. Um, yeah, this feature guy threw him out of the freaking headquarters. Hey, good to see you guys. Good to talk to you guys. That guy was crazy. What a nut. What a nut. Yeah, glad to have you back. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, yeah, I, yeah, we were tolerating him. No, I wasn't. Um, all right, so... <laughs> all right, so, Dava, you have to stop being sexy, apparently, to be tricked. Jesus Christ, his notes are crazy. Oh, well... Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's a that's an age thing. So how old is Dietrich? Like 120 or something. Oh, uh, you're crazy. Um, but everything's relative. <laughs> but all right, you're both. You, this is by the way, this is Dave. All right, he's back. <laughs> I to kick the shit out of that guy. Um, you you have some vinyl out too. Um, you're both uh, musicians. Yeah, 
So, uh, what's going on with you, Dava? You, I know you got that new album. We talked about that. Yes, it's not vinyl, though. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> my song. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, vinyl fans. It's, it's Dietrich's Dietr Notes, man. Dietrich's Notes. We'd have to explain to him the visual error. He's so horrible. We weren't able to do that. Um, I did a five-song EP with Danny B. Harvey, who, um, great guitar player and uh, was, he's been in the ad cat with Lemmy dear Lemmy no and, uh, and Danny's an old friend and I and I completely worship as his guitar author he's just an amazing musician so we did five songs um, together over the past few years just back and forth and off or whenever we see each other and it's called Fine Spirit and um, it's on Spotify or iTunes and you could probably buy the CD from his website, and uh, it's the, the project called Harvey and Wolf. A absolutely, um, and Johnny. Uh, so, as a musician, just curious, like, how do you feel about this vinyl movement that's happening right now? Well, I'm a fan. Uh, I always have been a fan. I'm not a very modern guy, but then again, I guess that would explain why I made a 1920s film. <laughs> but I hate technology. Uh, with a passion. I mean, it has its it has its it has its pros, but it has a lot of cons that go along with that. Um, you know, I just love to hear music in general, uh, but I do prefer. I'm a collector, so I love the vinyl aspect. I miss the days of hunting through old record stores, which oh, are God. so few and far between anymore. I know that Dava's right there with you. Yes, I know you're there, right there. And just like it is with old books, you know, as an author, I hate Kindles. I hate you know, reading anything on a computer, I'd rather have a physical book in my hand and see the tinged yellow pages and the smell of an old book. And it's the same way with vinyl. When you pull out an old vintage record, um, you know, I, I still have a good bit. Uh, you know, it has that smell. It has that. Yes. Just, there's still a yeah. sense of, uh, oh, sheer. There's so many wonderful things when you touch actual vinyl. The smell, the physical feel, you know, whether they put... Uh, and, you know, back in the day, a lot of times the, the records used to have posters inside and things that now everything is meaningless. It's, um, yeah, it's per it was personal. It was personal. You know, a funny story, and yeah. I don't know if right. I ever mentioned da this da to you. Dava, before. am I right? W wasn't it personal? Oh, yeah, no, I'm a total vinyl fan. And, and you know, just even you can read the liner notes. But, the, I mean, the album, sometimes they were die cut. It's a whole lost art. I, we, yeah, we're yes. big vinyl fans. And and Johnny, just so you know, because you don't know this, you, you probably didn't listen to the last couple of shows. Um, she served me my first beer. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> At the age of forty, some? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, I'm done with saying ages, and, and she's gorgeous. So that's enough. Oh, you're too kind. You want to find the Dietrich? I'll say. Oh no, Dietrich's a fucking asshole. I'm gonna kill him yeah but yeah in regards to the records you know a funny story we talked uh, briefly about the autobiography and one of the uh back in the day in the early 90s dava probably knows who he is uh i did an interview with ed culver who was a los angeles punk photographer uh did a lot of photography for circle jerks albums uh, black flag albums TSOL, yeah. uh christian death and when i did my interview with ed this was back in the mid 90s he was bitching about the fact that so many formats had changed like when he was doing photography in the late 70s early 80s with the punk bands 
you know, he his photography was used on vinyl, and then all of a sudden that same artwork had to get propped to fit into a cassette, and then it had to get changed to fit a CD. And honestly, by the time that the '90s rolled around, his the album had been cut, the artwork had been cut and cropped so many times that his name wasn't even credited for the photography anymore. By oh, the time yeah. that the albums were released on on CD, so. You know, there are so many missing things nowadays with the digital age that, uh, you yes, know, we yes. got to experience. I agree. Completely agree with that. Oh, did I lose your sound here, Dava? Yeah, Dava just disappeared on me. I, she sounds like she's... Oh, no, cool. I got you. I, I, no, I, I fixed it. You're, okay. you're back on. There she is. All right. All right. <laughs> um... Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I feel the exact same way, and I, I've had so many uh, um, misadventures as an artist when that uh, crossover happened, largely from vinyl to cassette, or not, I'm sorry, not cassette, um, CDs, and, and uh, yeah, everything's a disappointment, it really sucks. And I like books, too, I like actual books, I like antique books, I have a ton of books. I gave you um, a book, I gave you a book. Yes, you, are you gave me one of your books. Oh, and you're I, a sweetheart. I no, no, uh, uh, you know, I, I I like books. I like old books, even the occasional paper mite that might come crawling out. I'm like, hello, paper mite. You know, <laughs> yes. I close the book gently, put it back. Uh, love you guys. I'm so glad you did this. Love you. I'm glad Dietrich is love gone. Pain in my fucking yep. ass. All right. Be right back, folks. I can't type. I don't take dictation. I won't sharpen pencil. I can't file. My boss calls me indispensable. Miss Jones. Just a minute. Will you make a copy of this? Naturally. I push the button on the Xerox 914. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing a button. Anything he can see, I can copy in black and white on ordinary paper. And am I fast? I can make seven copies in a minute. By the way, I never need wet chemicals. My 914 is a dry machine, powder dry. Sometimes my boss asks me which is the original, and sometimes I don't know. Here, Mr. Smith, I'm going to lunch with Mother. Thanks, folks. And once again, welcome back. Oh, I love keeping them waiting. <laughs> hey. Hey, we're back. Kettle Radio, Dava Wolf, Johnny Daggers, and always the best conversations are off. The air, always, always. Although I, I think Donna might, Donna might indulge in what she asked Johnny while I was out of the room. I'm not sure. Yes. Um. Okay. And and not not tambulous. Did I pronounce that perfectly? Yes, you, you did. did. You did it perfect. Okay. Good. Um. The characters' names are Stellan and Zella. And, and I thought that was a really strong point of the film. There were such interesting names, and I wanted Johnny to talk about that a little bit. 
when I was writing the script, I was doing a lot of research from the air, and I, when it came time to name the characters, I wanted names that were error-appropriate, and flipping through a book, I, just those two names really stood out to me as strong, wonderful names that you don't hear anymore at all, and they're names that actually, if I were to have a child nowadays, they'd, they'd be cool names to give my children, so... But yeah, they, uh, they're error-appropriate names that uh, were just fascinating to me for whatever the reason. I just I think that just the way that they're pronounced and when you see them visually, they're just strong names. Yeah, and collectively, because they were similar, you really regarded them as a couple. Yes, so yes. Yeah, that actually trips a lot of people up when they're talking about Stellan and Zella. <laughs> They'll often say Stella and Zellan, um, and yeah. because they are very symbiotic in, in a certain aspect. So, but really, yeah, very important that you know this. Um, that uh, Johnny, when he he uh, films, he respects women to the utmost, um, and he holds them uh, like honestly, just like I don't know, they're not sex symbols. They're just, um, they're girls acting, and I, I appreciated that. When he told me that, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I don't think many directors do that. They don't respect the women as, you know, not, you know, a piece of ass. And well, it's it's to respect the actresses as well as to respect your storyline, too. Uh, my problem with, and anybody that knows my film career knows that I started off in horror. Even Noctambulist has its elements of horror, but it's not a full-fledged horror film. I consider it more of a mental thriller, psychological thriller, uh, more of, along the lines of Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, especially in modern horror, the blatant use of nudity for no reason at all just cheapens the film, it cheapens the story. I, agree. I think I agree. it's honestly I, I, just an excuse for the director to see his actresses naked. And I've always sworn that I would never use nudity in a film unless it was a absolutely merited. But I think the majority of the time, you can get around that. Um, and, you know, again, going back to my influences, I, m I mentioned Hitchcock. Uh, when you look at Janet Lee in the shower scene for Psycho, you know, you don't see her naked at all. Mm. But you know that she is. You never see the knife enter her. It's just implied stabbings with the sound effects that but go along most, with it. It's the and, most effective scene. And that's more effective. Yes, that's so... Because our minds can create horrors much more terrifying than somebody just showing something to us. It's like, let our imagination run wild, and it'll be a lot scarier, so... And a lot sexier. Thoughts on that? You, um, well, did you ever hear the story that Hitchcock told? You probably have, Johnny, that the prop department had made him a perfect torso. To, to yes. That nice and, too. and and he was like, no way. He said that it was amazing what they created, but he didn't want that. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, practical effects and and tricks with the camera are much better. I think that it, Hitchcock was all the more better, you know, and the film was all the more better um, for the quick cuts that he did instead of using you know a prop dummy, you know, for the for the knife to stab into. Uh, Psycho was also the first film to ever show a toilet. I don't know if either one of you knew that, but prior to that, toilets no, were... No, I didn't know that. No I way. I didn't know that at all. I had no idea. Yes, prior to uh, Psycho, the, you know, just seeing a toilet in a film was considered dirty and grotesque, and nobody had ever showed a toilet before, so that's just an interesting tidbit of, no uh, you know, Alfred Hitchcock trivia. Good trivia. Yeah, as he went on later, though, I think probably I could be wrong here, but I, I, that I know of, it seemed like his most graphic movie was Frenzy. 
Ooh. I think you actually saw. Good one. Um, yeah. Is that true? I mean, there was, there was actual body parts in that, right? Or you did see figures that were named or whatever? Or am I just imagining that? Maybe I'm not, I don't, I don't know. I believe it was implied, but I don't. I don't believe it's been a little bit since I've seen Frenzy, but I don't believe that there was any blatant nudity. I think it was, you know, you see the shape, the, sh the silhouettes per yeah, se. More, yeah. uh, kind of like what I did with Zella in the bedroom scene where she's changing, um, you know, behind the canopy bed where you know you can tell that she's changing and you see <laughs> her undressed or underwear, but it never goes past that. Um, I just really, I, I feel like just graphic nudity is, you know, completely pointless most of the time. Uh, you know, I guess it depends on I what you're making was, film on. I thought it was kind of boring. I thought it was kind of boring. Like, you know, the, the pit scene and all the horror movies, like, you know, enough. Enough already. Really. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is my lead actress that played um, Marlene Damone, the French poet, uh, she's actually yeah. a porn star. Yeah, I know that. No. So yeah, she, she is. said, yeah. "Dava, no, she really is. I knew that." Yeah, she's she's legitimate porn star, and she said filming Noctambulous was the first movie that she was never asked to get naked for. Right. So right, right, that was right. a huge compliment for me. Yeah, that's all. That's oh, awesome. She was great. Yeah. She was one of the best actresses. Like she really has an acting career outside of doing porn. Like she's a really talented actress. Yeah. No, I was so. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, she, I was just going to say she has a whole glamour 20s jeans armor yes. thing going on. Yes. Yeah, um, right. um, yeah, you know, but I, you know, nudity is so commonplace now. You don't even need to go to, I mean, you can see it on your niece's Instagram, you know. Right, exactly. Ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's much harder to convey something without, you know, Throwing the whole out there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think a lot of it too is just um, everything that the modern era has lost. You know, they're they're more interested in just seeing straight nudity. But you know, going back to you know even the fifties with you know the bullet bras and the garters and stuff like that was much more sexually appealing than just seeing somebody straight out naked. <laughs> like you know, uh, it was the allure behind it you know yeah we, we yeah go ahead i used to be an art assistant art director of screw magazine believe it or not i didn't know that that's an awesome that's a fantastic publication that i used to read it's a, it was a fantastic publication but um you know i i saw more more orifices than you could shake a stick at and after a while you just seen one you've seen them all and, you know, I'd be photoshopping them chained to a desk all day. And, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> everything in moderation. Yeah, when I was younger, I would say, uh, I had uh, several copies, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> where, um, Stephen King got, um, Stephen King got, uh, published on Screw Magazine with some short yes. horror stories. You know that, right? I do know yeah, that. We, yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Uh, I, I used to. I, I told my wife, I was like, dude, I send all my horror stories to uh, these horrible publications, <laughs> and <laughs> but that's how Stephen King got founded. You know, it's like that. Yeah. Screw. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Davinos, Davinos. I know. That's gonna be my quote, Davinos. <laughs> She could just have her own show with that. Oh, I'd give her her own show. Her own segment, at least. 
Yes. Oh, she's got that. She just hasn't taken it yet. Um, all right, folks. So we should wrap this up. Um, Johnny, uh, plug. Plug away. Uh, Noctambulus will be releasing sometime this year through SGL Entertainment, and it'll be available on DVD, Blu-ray, VOD, and at all your major movie retailers. Uh, Best Buy, I don't even know who who the major movie retailers are anymore, but right. yes, they're out yeah. there. I, I just, uh, yeah, wherever you can get films at. Nowadays, it's like, I'm trying to think, it's like everything that we watch is like on Netflix or, yeah. you know, which yeah. it'll be on Netflix, yeah. it'll be on Hulu, I'm sure, uh, you know, you name it. It'll be out there everywhere, so there's no excuse not to see it. All right, Miss She-Wolf. Let's go. All righty. Well, I'm excited to see Johnny. It's a wonderful film. And I'm sure... It's Thank you, Dava. And um, me, uh, okay, I got that, that uh, five-song EP with Danny B. Harvey. It's called uh, Fine Spirit. It's all instrumental, guitar instrumentals, with uh, Dean Ripsler on bass, who is a, uh, a New York legend. He's a bass player and a, and a great guy. And uh, you can hear that on Spotify or get it on iTunes. Or you can buy it. You can buy the CD on eBay or at DannyBeatsHarvey.com. So there you go. Very cool. All right, as always, www.fairlydarkproductions.com. All the shows, all the books, help support the frickin' habit. I could use your help. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, and there we go. And uh, thank you to uh, Dava She-Wolf and uh, Johnny Daggers. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Loved it. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Dava. Bye, Johnny. Nice talking to you. And what the hell is this crackling noise, anyway? <laughs> Damn it! And this is Dietrich Valhalla, collector of oddities, signing off. Until next time, look for my book, Dead Memories, coming soon.
I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid. 